My sermon uh, today is entitled, Vertically Inclined. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we pause one last time during the season of Advent, we ask that you would fill our pause with your presence and a greater openness to your activity in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. When Heidi and my uh, older, uh, oldest son was seven years old, Thomas, he and I were on our way to pick up the Christmas tree uh, that year, and he asked a question. He said, Dad, do you believe in Santa Claus? tried to change the subject. Look, gas is only $1.39 at holiday. (laughs) But he persisted. Dad, do you believe in Santa Claus? And I did what any good counselor or teacher would do. I said, well, it doesn't really matter what I think. What matters is what you think. Do you believe in Santa Claus? Thomas thought for a minute, and then he said, well, I don't know. Flying reindeer? It seems kind of unlikely. Now, just for for the record, Thomas um, did eventually state that very day that he does believe in Santa. I imagine the conversation between Mary and Joseph about her virgin pregnancy may have elicited a similar reaction. Clearly, Mary believed it since she knew she'd not been with a man. But Joseph? He was uh, perhaps more like my little doubting Thomas. I don't know, Mary, he may have said. A pregnant virgin? It seems kind of unlikely. How would any of us in Joseph's shoes have reacted to that? Of course Joseph didn't believe her initially. That's not the way that women get pregnant in this world. But frankly, at that point in the story, Joseph was more preoccupied with real-world concerns, namely these. Mary and Joseph, you see, were engaged in a prearranged one-year betrothal And backing out of a betrothal was almost as difficult as getting out of a divorce. It was more than just being engaged, as we would call it today. And here's the hard truth. If the bride-to-be had relations with a man who was not her fiancé, the penalty was often death by stoning. Very enlightened age here. Um, One thing Joseph knew beyond a shadow of a doubt He wasn't the father. So, Joseph was faced with several very difficult uh, things here. First, there was the apparent unfaithfulness of Mary. Now, given that Mary had a good reputation, Joseph must have been both hurt and angry that Mary, of all people, would do such a thing. Second, 
Joseph was, at the very least, facing the public shame and embarrassment of an engagement to a uh, seemingly reckless young woman. And as a faithful Jew, it would be very important that he did the right thing and not just look the other way. But, and this is the third point, if he acted out of any sense of retribution here, as many men would have, Joseph was keenly aware of the possibility of a tragic end to the life of the woman he may very well have already loved. We don't know. And bear in mind that Mary here would have been only 14, 15, 16 years old at the tops. So in verse 19, we learn what Joseph's decision was. It says that Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. This meant breaking off the betrothal without pressing any charges, so to speak, which means he did not want her harmed. So Joseph engaged in what Shakespeare once termed justice-tempered with mercy. The marriage would not happen. That was justice. But he would forgive her so her life could go on. That was mercy. Joseph's character and faithfulness to God were exemplary. The story continues in verse 20. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Okay, there you have it. Rather, a rather key point in the story. And here we, we see that Joseph just had a vertical moment. Namely, an invitation to view his and Mary's lives as an intersection of the earthly and horizontal realm that they knew so well, and a vertical divine realm. Sometimes you see the vertical rearranges the horizontal. We learn that repeatedly in scripture, don't we? And what was Joseph's response to this vertical moment? faith. He believed that God was talking to him through his dream, something people throughout history have often experienced. Dreams not merely as a, your mind working through stuff, but, but as a place where visitations can happen. So when he awoke, verse 24 tells us, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took Mary as his wife. So we learn here that Joseph had the same qualities that Mary had. Faithfulness, 
an appropriate imagination, and obedience. We also learn from this story that his horizontal world and the horizontal world of ours, where everything must be explained by natural causes, is capable of being interrupted by the vertical, which is to say God. Call it a miracle if you like, or call it Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph and Mary reminded us that there are two kinds of people in the world, the vertically inclined and the vertically challenged. Now, one can be vertically inclined in many ways. Um, as a basketball player, I used to be vertically inclined, not by my height, but uh, I, I had pretty good jumping ability when I was in my 20s. But nowadays, gravity just seems to be increasingly stronger all the time, like I'm on a larger planet with a more powerful gravity where it's just hard to get off the ground at all, not so vertically inclined. But the vertical I'm speaking of here has nothing to do with our capacity to go vertical and ascend, not physically or otherwise at all. Rather, it has everything to do with our openness to recognize that God goes vertical, or should I say God comes down vertically and right into our lives. So the vertically inclined people are those who recognize that God interrupts and acts in this horizontal world, and the vertically challenged people live their lives predominantly on a flat, horizontal plane, one-dimensional, maybe two-dimensional. Everything explained by natural causes. By the way, eventually this world becomes quite the horizontal world becomes quite meaningless. It's flat. In college, I remember being in an argument with an agnostic who wanted proof from me that God exists. Now, now th this topic and this question is a classic horizontal flatliner question. Unless you can prove, prove God's existence, you see, like some kind of scientific phenomenon, then God doesn't exist. Now, now think about it. Think about if you were God. Would you allow yourself to be reducible to a test tube or a telescope? Just a data point in the scientific world? <laughs> if I was God, I would not want to be limited that way. People who insist that nothing is real unless you can scientifically or logically prove it will always be vertically challenged because they only understand the horizontal, that truth comes only in certain pre-approved packages, namely packages of the scientific method. The vertical in the Bible and now is always shrouded in mystery and unpredictability. It's shrouded in wonder and awe, and it is every bit as real as this but it is accessible only by a leap of faith. That's right. You don't know. You don't have certainty. You could be wrong. It makes things more complicated. Look at Mary and Joseph. And don't think this is only about whether you believe in God or not. Many people believe in God, but don't think God is involved personally in their lives. 
uh, but it's ra rather, uh, well, this is deistic, right? God's up there somewhere, but then the world just plays itself out. Um, in fact, many Christians believe like Christians, but then live like atheists, meaning there is no room in their lives for God to act, or so they imagine. Now, admittedly, something like a virgin birth is <laughs> extraordinary. Uh, not normally how God works. We would, <laughs> I would say we would be right to question it if someone today claimed that God said, this is what's happened here and that this is a, a virgin pregnancy and, and birth. Um, you're right to question it, I think. What's at stake here is the bigger question. Whether we think God acts in our lives on that vertical pole. In that regard, things are no different for us than for Joseph. God does act decisively and vertically in your world as well. Do you have faith that, that this is so? Is there room in your life for God to speak a new word or an old word to remind you of something or to do a new thing in your life and maybe rearrange the landscape a little bit in your life? Or is your whole world horizontal, governed only by the, line, uh, by the laws of science, economics, culture, and survival of the fittest? Are you vertically inclined or are you vertically challenged? May our lives be characterized by justice tempered with mercy, so that we might be on the same wavelength as our God who is just and merciful. Maybe that means encountering situations where we might be quick to rush to judgment and conclusion. Rather, we stay open and wonder a bit and ask questions and arrive at a more compassionate place before slamming the door shut on someone. May our lives be open to the wondrous and mysterious. And this is the time of year for that, my friends. The vertical interruptions from a God who is deeply invested in us. May our lives be lived with faith in a God who came down to us so that we might have life. Amen.